Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode of Ramble Meets is sponsored by Bet365. Hi, I'm Danny Kelly. I've made my living out the two things I love, popular music and football. This is about football. Danny, um, it's absolutely fantastic to have you here with us um, in, in in different surroundings in our studio, which is a real yeah, treat for don't, me. Don't forget we work together. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> we have met. Yeah, exactly. Um, what 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 are your first memories of, of, of kind of falling in love with football? When did you sort of experience football and think that is the, the one thing for me, that is the sport for me? I guess um, I grew up in the, right in the middle of London in, in, in Islington, in the shadow of, of Arsenal's old stadium in Highbury. Um, and... Uh, I guess I came of age, you know, sort of six, seven, eight, nine, those sort of in the mid '60s, um, when the crowds were just gigantic in English football, and I got taken by my uncles. So, um, my parents emigrated from from Ireland in the late '50s. I was born, and they were re- joined by regular reinforcements from their own family. As people became 16, they came to London to work, right. and they brought their mates with them as well. And so one of my uncles, my uncle Patrick, and uh, Patrick, you know, I've got an uncle called Paddy, you know, and um, <laughs> his mate Andy Nolan were sport mad, and they started getting taken to these football matches. And I don't remember being that mad about football until I started going. I think the first one I'm absolutely aware of, they took me to Craven Cottage to see Liverpool play. I think it must have been Liverpool's first title-winning team under Shankly, because they appeared to be... 
60,000 people inside Craven Cottage. And without being too much of a cliche, um, the superbly upholstered man you see before you yeah. was not always this big. Yeah. And I was on my uncle's shoulder in a crowd of, uh, let's be uh, let's be sensible, say 40,000 rammed into a Craven Cottage. I remember loving that. And because of where I lived, everybody at school supported either Arsenal or Spurs. And I got taken every week. There's days when you could roll up with your 10 bob note, whatever it was, and go to, we went to Arsenal one Saturday, Spurs the next Saturday note. Um, and for some reason, yeah. I fell in love with the team further away from home. I think they had a better team in the mid-60s. That's part of it. Um, but I also, in my mind, when I when I do Donovan-style transcendental meditation, as you know, I'm master's and master of it, yeah. um, I think it's to do with the white shirts. Yeah. Arsenal's red shirts always looked to me like the foreign office were playing, whereas Spurs, <laughs> right. the only team I ever saw in a white shirt, they were. It's, it's something magnificent about that plain white shirt. And I knew they were rock and roll. Um, it wasn't a very popular decision. I mean, I lived in Highbury. It wasn't a very popular decision. But in those days, there wasn't the kind of bitterness about the whole thing that there is now. So you've said that a lot. Do you genuinely think that back then it was a lot more kind of free and easy? I just don't think that people were the... I mean, this is not borne out by the football violence, is it? But those were, no. those were a small but very, very high-profile percentage of football fans that were going around causing that much trouble. More about them later, I guess. No, I don't think... I think it was all right. I think it was okay to support Spurs. The yeah. real crux came in our house when our youngest came along. Um, my sister is 17 years younger than us. And as soon as she became cognizant and could master even the outer, the inner limits of the English language, she was sat down in a house full of Arsenal fans and me and said, right, Joanne, who do you support? Yeah. And I remember watching the little child's head tick and tick and tick as she thought, I can't say Tottenham, I can't say Arsenal. Can I think of any other football team? Um, she said, oh, yeah, I support South of the Queen. <laughs> And to this day, she is the only supporter of South of the Queen. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, so would, would you really? Would you actually cut about Highbury in your Spurs shirt, or did you not have a Spurs shirt? No, no. But, but shirts, sir. Yeah, you can... shirts. You, you, I look at you. Of course, I forget your fresh face and have all your own hair and teeth. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, no replica shirts. Um, the, the famous picture in the book that we, myself and Danny Baker did, of Danny in a Millwall shirt in the sometime in the sixties, a mm. Christmas morning, homemade. His mother had made that shirt. Yeah. And you know, shirts didn't come into it at all. But at the risk of sounding rude, I kind of thought that's what a lot of families did then. Yeah. And so you wouldn't necessarily, I'm not suggesting you would walk down to the mega store, but you might have had a, a sort of ersatz, sort of knockoff right. version. And at risk of coming Monty Python's Yorkshireman on you, yeah. in a family where we didn't have shirts to go to school, we're unlikely yeah. to have spare football shirts knocking about. Yeah. I might be so bold. Um, now, the only, the only sign of uh, I was a Spurs fan was that I went there, you know. Yeah. But, but lots of people, I, I mean, I don't think I was. Unique. I think. I mean, this is the, with the Premier League and everything. You have to book your particular like a, a year in advance, um, pay a mortgage, and you have to give your. If you're going to a World Cup game, you have to give them a blood sample, don't yeah. you? See, you just bowled up. So lots of Arsenal fans went to Spurs, and lots of Spurs fans went to Arsenal, and Leighton Orient were the real um, benefactors of all that because if you if you really didn't want to go to Arsenal and you're a Spurs fan, you went to Leighton Orient. Mm. Um, it, it, it was these are of course a child a child's memories. And they're very, very... It's easy for me. Somebody else was paying and I was bowling up and getting bought hot dogs or whatever it was. Yeah. Al Fresco hot dogs, you know, the yeah. ones that... Only the vans that are outdoors can make the onions that soggy and yeah. greasy, can't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was where I first realised I liked it. And I realised I liked it a lot very quickly. And the, the measure of this was on a Saturday evening um, after we'd had a massive row in our basement in Islington, Always a big row in the winter about who was going to go outside and get the coal to mm. put in the coal fire. 
given that the cold bunker itself was perhaps four paces from the front door, I never <laughs> yeah. quite understood why they had to come to fisticuffs. Yeah. Um, but he did. Um, Pete had to stay, you had to stand your ground, otherwise you'd be getting the cold the whole time. Um, <laughs> after the fighting without the coal, you'd see the football results go through and then you run to the paper shop um, to get what North they would call the Pinkin, you know, uh, a mm. newspaper, local newspaper, often in the North England, paint, printed on pink paper, with the football results and uh, from around well, the place. They have those in Portsmouth as well, and yeah, Southampton have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They don't have any more, but they used to. London, of course, it was hopeless. Because of the size of the city, um, the distribution area is just vast. So you'd buy the Evening News or the Evening Standard. They were both at the time. And on the front, it would say, Tottenham thrash Leicester. They always seemed to be thrashing Leicester in those days. Yeah. Um, and you'd read this very intense report about the first 45 minutes, and it'd be half-time, Tottenham 2, Leicester nil. And then the rest of the report went, Spurs went on to win the match, Tottenham 4, Leicester nil, because, of course, they're writing the reports at half-time. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But the fact that I was prepared, when I wasn't even prepared to go four paces to the coal hole to, yeah. for, the, for the family's benefit, to run to a corner shop, told me I was beginning to fall in love with the game. Yeah, and so, I mean, people will know that, as you, as you mentioned as well in your intro, that you, you've, you've, you've forged your path both in football, sport, and in music. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you transitioned from having like a normal job into um, this, this is your phone. Yeah. See, this is another thing about Danny. Everyone needs to know he's not he's not often seen in these parts. But when he wherever he's seen, he finds it impossible to turn his phone off. Is that is that fair? You just don't know how to do it. I, I, I can turn it down. <laughs> I've just turned it down. It will be going off the whole time. Listen to you, Marconi. Listen to him. I've just come from an, an interview with Dimitar Berbatov, who has not one, not two. Not three. Oh, good. Not four, oh. but five mobile phones. The tar, everybody, look at that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all five. On, they're all on silent. Of what, are they, what are they for? I think UK, Bulgarian business pleasure. I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I didn't ask him. I didn't drill down into that. But anyway, you, I know that you went from, shall we say, in quotes, a normal job mm. into becoming a full-time music writer. Mm-hmm. But did did the football side of your profession come along later than that, or was it roughly around the same time? Or did you know completely different, completely different? And uh, I think this is what happened. I mean, football in the seven. I, I I you know went to university, got thrown out of university. What for? Um, not doing any work. Okay. Um, I was only interested in punk rock and football. Okay. Um, the some I went to university in seventy six, seventy seven. And that first bleak winter of punk was happening. We were right in the middle of the country in Leicester, and Spurs had been relegated mm. um, for the first time in a long time. They were in the second league of English football. A man called Bernie Kingsley, these days one of London's top lawyers, had a Vauxhall, a powder blue Vauxhall Viva 1100. And that meant we could go and watch Spurs anywhere we wanted, a little group of us, and then go on to see. The Clash or the Buzzcocks or the Stranglers that night somewhere else in England. Mm-hmm. It was an extraordinary chaotic 12 months in my life. I didn't do a stroke of work. I was supposed to be a lawyer. Um, didn't do anything. And I remember writing about all of this. And one day, the Manic Street Preachers came to the enemy's office. And I, I love the Manics at the time. They were just a great band, aren't they? And uh, What year uh, was this? Oh, God. Uh, about the time that um, Everything Must Go came out. Yeah, okay, right. So they're coming to my office to do the singles. It was a thing where you'd get somebody, a guest, you know, a guest star in, and then you play them the this week's singles and write down they their responses. Yeah, 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 quite. Okay. And uh, I started doing the first couple, and then when Richie went forward and said, can we stop doing this now? Can you tell us about the Vauxhall Viva 1100? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They wanted to hear about Chase. One of them was a Spurs, one of them was a Spurs fan. Like, is it, I can't remember. One of them was a Spurs fan. So okay. I remember saying to him, why, why do you support Spurs? The glamour, he yeah, said. That. Really? And they, all they wanted to hear about was my punk rock adventures. They didn't want to yeah. ever read the singles at all. Yeah. Um, but 
football, you mustn't forget, when I was in the music press, so from the mid-80s onwards, football had got into a terrible, terrible place. The violence in the stadium meant that nobody went to football who wasn't a hardcore football fan. I can remember being, um, I was at a loose end one weekday, and I thought, I must go to a match. There was a League Cup tie on at Stamford Bridge. I don't know who it was. I, I want to say Berry, but I'm, actually I'm making it up as I go along. Mm. Um, and I was in a crowd of 8,000 at Stamford Bridge. Mm. Crowds were down everywhere. Policing was savage. Um, people were getting properly hurt. The game was in a terrible state. The pitches were awful. The stadiums were awful. The football was brilliant because it was violent. Um, but the game was going out of business, right? And that was reflected in the music press. That you weren't allowed to mention football. It was right. like it became a toxic brand almost. Absolutely beyond toxic. You, yeah. you, you. If you liked football, you were a, a lunkhead. You mm. were glumpen. Um, you know, an idiot. You know, just a knuckle dragging like absolutely yeah, yeah, okay. Neanderthal. Yeah, a Neanderthal. Um, there were two people on the enemy, myself and Adrian Thrills, um, who still liked football. And Did you fall football. out of the love of the game for the no, 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 no. I always loved it. Um, even I, I hated the violence on the terraces. Of course, I got badly hurt at Wolverhampton um, one one Saturday um, when I failed to hurdle a uh, central reservation and got my head kicked in. Blimey. W- woke up in the infirmary in Wolverhampton. How did that even happen? Oh, because I was with a bunch of very bad people, but I never did any fight. I did a lot of running away. I'm a smart yeah. one. I, I was yeah. there to make the jokes, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got separated, got a good kick in. I woke up in hospital, and I remember from my chin to my groin, I was the exact claret and blue of a West Ham scarf. And I thought to myself, now you're a smart lad, Danny. You don't need to kick this out. I no. stopped going. I stopped going. If Kerry O'Donoghue, Kerry O'Donoghue, if you're listening, mm. uh, and I don't suppose you are, um, that, that was your fault because right. uh, he, was, he was all starting fights, Kerry. Yeah, okay, right. And, uh, and, and so when you, when you hear people now, and I know a lot of it's on Twitter, and maybe we'll talk a bit more about social media later. Yes. I don't want to get too het up with it because it, as I try and always remind myself, it's not real life. Mm-hmm. But... There's a lot of talk on Twitter through, I would I dare I say, younger people yes. that of this against modern football kind of thing. Was yes. back in the day, it was all sepia tinged and great. Yeah. Now I'm just about old enough to remember what football was like in the late '80s, right. early '90s, aka it was shit. You're saying before that, football was such a toxic brand, was such a, diff- there were, there was people a time, didn't want to even be associated with it. There was a time it. in the mid '80s where it was it was absolutely going, it was going out of business. You got Mrs. Thatcher holding meetings in Downing Street saying, why don't you, all this money that's coming into the game, why don't you just play it behind closed doors, play it in empty stadiums? Slightly missing the point. Mm. You've got crowds going down. Um, you've got crowds fighting with each other. Look, what I always say about the, the transition between modern football, mm. Spurs' new stadium being the kind of plus ultra of it, I saw yeah. it today compared, we'll talk about this on one of our shows over yeah. on yeah. Talk Sport. Um, saying the, the, the architect said, you know, it doesn't compete with Arsenal Stadium. That's mm. a different era. Mm. It competes with the high street. Mm. Okay. They uh, want to get people in. They want to keep them there. They want to buy things. Yeah, okay. Look, these are the facts. Modern football. The stadiums are better. The facilities are better. The players are more athletic. The technique is better. The pitches are better. The refereeing... I, I don't really know. <laughs> Everything is better except for one thing, the experience of going. Yeah. Because I was younger, it was mad. Yeah. People, you could you could be thrown around in a crowd. We all know what, what happened at Hillsborough and Heysel and Bradford as a result of this kind of neglect of football fans. Yeah. But for a teenage person, a young person, running around these football grounds, it was an extraordinary experience. Um, mm. 
Not one that you'd want repeated now. And nowadays, people would get counselling for the kind of things that were going on there. But the excitement of being thrown, hurled down a terrace mm. 30 yards. I mean, the, the example I'd always give of a moment when I thought I was physically going to explode. And I don't suppose I've ever felt that feeling except occasionally at gigs by great live bands, the Who in the early 70s, the Clash in the late 70s. Um, actually, MF Doom, not, so, not <laughs> yeah. quite recently. Um, I wonder when he was going to pop up. Yeah, yeah, yeah up, up he pops. Yeah. Um, Spurs drew an FA Cup semi-final with Wolves. Um, and I was in Mallorca playing football at the time and uh, a very, very high level of my pub team. We lost 9-1. Right. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and we, we went back, and the replay was at Highbury, and we all stood on the North Bank. Right. And it was the most... Spurs played brilliantly. Um, they won 3-0, I think, um, to get them to the cup final, one of those famous two cup finals in the early 80s. Ricardo Villa scored from an, alter, from an adjacent postal district, yeah. and we went crazy. It was a madhouse, the excitement, the emotion, the physical, visceral thing of being knocked side to side and lifted up by the crowd and forced down the terrace and back up the terrace. It was dangerous, I now know. I get yeah. it. It was dangerous. Yeah. But uh, you, the, the adult me, knowing that was dangerous, cannot overpower the 20-year-old me, knowing that was blinking brilliant. I had mm. a wonderful time. Stuart Robson... Um, was a an apprentice at Arsenal at the time and told me that the Spurs players smashed up the Arsenal dressing rooms as well. Um, so the, the tone of English football at this time was pretty pretty strange. Yeah. In the music business, in the music industry, it was gone. You couldn't. And I'll tell you where I first saw uh, something's happening here. Mid-80s, got some photographs of a band who were playing in Leeds and some people saying to us on the NME, got to go and see this band. They're really good. And it's the wedding present. Yeah. And the wedding present had two, you don't even see them at football grounds anymore, silk scarves, cheap, tatty, thin scarves, Legionite scarves, tied on the machine heads of their guitars. And I sold it to Adrian Thrills. I said, look at that. I said, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that's, that's almost an act of rebellion. In fact, that is. It's just straightforward rebellion. Because football was such persona non grata, it, there was no, no one was referencing football in anything at all. No, and I think you'd got down, as I say, everybody who half liked football, everybody who liked football were a bit queasy, everybody... The only people left going to football, talking about football, were hardcore football fans. I was one. There were, you know, still sizable numbers, 20,000, 25,000, still lots of people going to Old Trafford, you know, that kind mm. of thing. There was nobody part-time football at that stage. And the wedding present did that. And when their first LP came out, the classic George Best, it had a footballer on the cover. And, mm. and then the House Martins did Hull 4, London 0. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you could feel the thing was coming back. Now, I don't know why it was coming back. It just what well, I think what happened was it got so far down, so unpopular, so toxic that it had become an act of rebellion. It is it, football had become the new rock and roll, in, but in a, in a, in, a, in the fifties way, not in the advertising way mm. of the of the noughties. It become we're gonna we're gonna we're, look we're so we're so downtrodden we're we're we're, we're this with pride. All these things are cyclical anyway, though, right? Don't you think? Mm. I mean that that cycle may well have been broken now with the just the the planet straddling power of football but yeah. I think before that kind of happened I feel like things were a lot more cyclical you think lots of cultural stuff is cyclical music and art yeah. and all the rest of it but I, th I think I think there's been a, 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 an exponential and continuous expansion and growth of football since one particular moment mm. and I'm, I'd, I brook no argument against this mm. Paul Gascoigne's tears in the semi-final of the 1990 World Cup every footballer is currently earning north of 50 grand a week, which is every footballer, yeah. needs to get down on the knees every morning, 
and pray to a picture of Paul Gascoigne saying, thank you, Paul. Yeah. And they should be, despite all Paul's failings, they should be writing to the Vatican every week on, mm. on gilded notepaper say, can we make this man a saint, please? We beatify this man. We'll yeah. start, with, start with beatification yeah. and then we'll get him to sainthood. Yeah. Gascoigne's tears, the TV companies had already noticed the figures for the 1990 World Cup. England's team were a drama. They changed halfway through the tournament from a back four to a back five and all the rest of it. It was a drama. Gascoigne was a drama. Lineker was Errol Flynn up front, right? Mm. And they realised they were getting a lot of middle-class traction and a lot of female traction with this. When Gascoigne cries in the semi-final, he realised they're not going to make the final, somewhere in the buildings in Australia and America, they thought, ha, football, that's the thing. Yeah. Paul Gascoigne's tears water the seeds of the Premier League. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. And and when did you That's first... lucky for you. Yeah, yeah. otherwise I'll be happy. I'll be no, be wrong. No, you just be wrong. Uh, yeah. And you're making fool of yourself at these high-quality dinner parties I know you frequent. <laughs> Which I got the invites. <laughs> I don't get the invites. Um, let's talk about Paul Gascoigne then because he's an incredibly important figure in modern football for exactly the reasons you've said and obviously had a very difficult time mm -hmm. more recently. Yes. You know or knew him sure. well and when did you first encounter Paul? Well look I must say I was I, when you say I knew him well I knew him well in the way that you know members of gangs know the members of other gangs right. uh, tangentially um, I was doing my first of my many many projects with Danny Baker and he we was We started what around the early 90s? Um, yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, we hadn't met. We'd been uh, we'd been on the NME, but we'd missed each other. Then we'd been on GLR, uh, the old Great Legendary Radio Station. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we'd missed each other. Um, and as he once shouted when I was telling this story to a group of people in a, in a public place, "You leave my wife alone." <laughs> um, uh, yeah. We, then he was Danny was doing the breakfast show on Radio Five. Um, before it was even a sport a sports station. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, no, I'd been doing reviewing the newspapers. And they said, well, we got rid of the guy who's doing the show. I can't remember what he was called now, but he was no good. Um, and he said, this new bloke's coming. Will you stay on for a couple of weeks just to warm him up? I said, oh, really? Hmm. And this is, I'm, I'm doing serious reviews of the newspaper. I've got no interest in it. Anyway, Baker turns up, and very soon we realised that the uh, the pod uh, was missing two Ps, and hmm. we were they. Hmm. Um, as he once said to me, look, two men, one personality. I wish I had his personality, by the way, and yeah. his money. Um, <laughs> no, actually, that's not well. But you've, well, you're always very generous with your praise for Danny Baker. You say it's I a think genius. He's a genius. I think yeah. he's the greatest broadcaster in the country. Yeah. And I think the fact that as we sit here now, he has two hours a week on radio, while people like you and I are allowed to splash about for hour <laughs> after hour after hour. It's nothing short of a national disgrace. It really is a disgrace. I always assumed that was his decision, yeah. to not to not work as much in that way. It's not. Okay. It is not. Okay. They're afraid of him. Yeah, okay. um, they're okay. afraid of him. Um, well, if he wants to come and do a podcast over here, he's more than welcome. <laughs> well, he's, well, he's got the one with Lineker now, hasn't he? It's true. Which, which you shouldn't listen to. Really poor. Really very poor indeed. <laughs> Despite his genius. Yeah. So you, you, Lineker's dragging it down. You, you know... because so I, know, so, so I know Danny, and he's writing um, TFI Friday for Chris Evans. Chris Evans and Gaza and Danny are a firm, so I keep getting dragged into their, into their world. Two examples I always give. Um, the famous day of the picture you always see of Danny, Chris, and Paul Gascoigne, Pistas Puddens, yeah. That's taken at the Comedy Awards, to which none of them were invited, by the way. So this is the picture of Paul Gascoigne still in part of his football kit, um, and it's splashed all over the tabloids of him going off the rails, and yes. Danny Baker and Chris Evans yeah. are to blame. Yeah. Uh, that Just for, for our younger listeners, that's basically yes. what it was. Yeah. C correct. That picture was taken at the Comedy Awards, which was a big deal in those days, to which none of them were invited. I am at the end of that robe. I'm always cropped out of the photograph. I don't suppose the original even exists anymore, No. because they've come and got me. I'm working at Q Magazine at this time, and... Danny comes and comes in, and I'm pretty, I'm very professional. But he says, "No, I've got, I've got Gazza in tow here. You've got to come. It's going to be good." And it was one of those days when Paul was gone mad. I mean, properly 
brilliantly mm. mad. Not horrible mad. Um, not all the things that get him in trouble now. He was wearing a um, one of those sonic casts on his leg because he had an ankle injury. He was playing for Rangers at the time. Mm. They'd already, the three of them, had already hijacked a bus. Gaza, because bus drivers would let him. Mm. Get out of there, mate. Get out. Mm. He'd driven a bus around and around Piccadilly Circus um, and then down to Marble Arch with the, 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 the passengers all screaming their excitement. He's driving this with a plaster cast, right? Yeah. I don't suppose he's got a heavy goods licence, do you? No. No. I thought so, no. No, no. He'd, they'd all been somewhere to get clothes because Gaza was, uh, turned up in his football kit mm. um, and had been to many, many strange places. It was a long, 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 long day. And I just remember that photograph being taken. I was at the end of that row. I'm not famous enough to make the cut for the yeah, tablet. So they cut you out of it. And what? That, but they, they were fools to themselves because at the other end was the young Carolina Hearn just before she became a superstar. Oh, was it really? They okay. could have had Caroline in the picture too, okay. but they didn't know she was going to be big. They had neither. No. What do you? I mean, knowing Paul as you as you, uh, you I know mean, about him and I know I've been in his company. Yes. What, what do you? Is there when you look back on that because he's clearly one of the finest football players this country's ever produced. When you look back on that, is there a sense of regret? Is there anything where you think, do you know what we people should around him should have been more responsible, or do you think that he bears the responsibility himself? I don't think he bears the responsibility himself. I think he has um, some mental issues, um, small M. I'm not, and I'm no psycho- psychologist, Luke. Yeah. Um, I think he he had terrible background help. You know, um, look, he's not helped himself in many many ways. I'm, I'm not making excuses for the guy. Um, but I don't think um, his own background helped very much. I think he would have been a happier man. If, uh, he said it himself, uh, if he'd married a, a shop girl from Middlesbrough and got some kind of stability into his life. But people keep... Um, and, and also, I, I won't accept um, people saying, you know, in those days, Danny and Chris used to, you know, take him out and it was all part... They, if he, I know, and I'm not going to say in public because it, it's their business, mm. things they did to try and help Paul. Right. Um, and... It just, it just, he just couldn't be got onto back onto the rails a lot of the time. I mean, I say you sit in the pub with him, and he'll sit there laughing and telling you how Walter Smith wanted him to say, "I want to know where you are every moment of the day, Paul, mm. while you're recovering from this injury." I, ra- I rang him at five this morning. He rang really? him at five in the morning to tell him where he is. Yeah. Um, also, he can do prestidigitation, close-up magic. Yeah. Paul Gascoigne can make things disappear out of your ear and stuff. Yeah. And at f- first, that's that, that weirdly that kind of fits. <coughs> I, I, that makes sense to me. Paul Gascoigne would have been the best snooker player if he wanted to be a snooker player. He'd be the best golfer. Yeah. His hand-eye coordination is is psychic. It's beyond. It's supernatural. It's beyond human beings. Yeah. And at first, you think this is childish. Then you realise, hang on, well, how did he do that? You know. Yeah. And, uh, but you you rate him as the, essentially the spiritual father of the Premier League. I think I think it was the drama that that, that was around him in the World Cup in 1990 that allowed. TV executives say this isn't just a game. This has the potential to be the world's most popular soap opera, which it now is. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk a bit more after the break sure. about uh, Danny's career and 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 the, the world of football that he inhabits. Um, so don't go anywhere. Invented mostly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, welcome back to this very special episode of Ramble Meets, sponsored by Bet365. Danny, I'm pleased to say, is still in situ. Yeah. Um, as we move into the 90s then, and all the, all the talk of, of, of you, well, we, we tangentially mm. mentioned at least you working with Danny Baker. And when the Premier League comes into, into force, um, I think it's easy sometimes with these kind of things to backfill the narrative and go, oh, the football's now massive and we, we saw it coming. You're, you're, you're still working in football at this point, are you? You're doing radio, because you, you were a very early adopter of podcasting with Danny Baker, but that came later on. You did quite a lot of entrepreneurial things around the, the 90s, I've done right? lots of things, yeah. You know, I was um, doing okay in the music business and publishing business. I, I, you know, I was editing Q and Total Sport magazine and uh, kind of looking after a lot of t- publications. And I'd had some marital problems. Um, luckily, I found Michael Gray, the uh, Sunderland fullback. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not the person who has the shortest marriage of anyone I know. Tell us more about that. I got married to a, a woman that I loved, and um, we, we had a great wedding and a massive Irish Kayleigh, she was Scottish, um, in the Irish Centre in mm. Camden, Camden Town. Um, and uh, we had a brilliant, brilliant time, and seven months later, she was sick of it. <laughs> I'd think of me, to be precise. Right. But Michael Gray tells me, because I once told him the story, he said, Danny, I spent a quarter of a million pounds on a footballer's wedding, and I only got three months out of it. Wow. So, so I reckon... That's I, the current I, record, is it? Oh, he's the, he's the new holder. He's yeah, actually, okay. I, see, I don't count Hollywood marriages, because I'm not sure they ever went through an no. actual ceremony or all sure, the rest of it. Sure, sure. They didn't hire a marquee. You, you, have to be, you have to have honest intentions yeah, for it to count. And you yeah. have to hire a marquee. Yeah, okay, it it okay. can't be a PR wedding, you know? No. Um, and somebody came along to me, and said, do you want to do, um, have you heard about what the internet is? And I'll tell you how I came to be involved in, you know, what's, where you're you know, standing and making your fantastic living. Um, some American guys came to EMAP, and I was the senior editor there, and they had lots of great magazines, Empire, and lots of women's magazines and all the rest of it. And these two guys came from Silicon Valley. This is, now, this is before anyone knew what the internet was going to be. Yeah. And they asked me if I would defend print and paper while these two came. And um, they gave this amazing presentation about what was going to happen with the way you could publish things without chopping down trees in Scandinavia, without lorries rolling across eight-lane highways to bring the printed stuff around the country and the rest of it. And I stood up and I made a passionate uh, defence of of print and paper. Um, I I made a point that, you know, even now, 2019, the deeds of your house aren't digital, are they? No. The important stuff's on paper. Yeah. And then in a frankly blasphemous recreation of the Catholic Catholic consecration ceremony... (laughs) I ate paper and drank ink, right? No, you did I did, in front of 200 senior executives. <laughs> they asked me to defend it. I'll fucking defend it for you. Yeah, go I, hard or go home. I ate paper and I drank a whole glass of ink uh, down. 
But, but Luke, when I finished being sick, <laughs> I, re- I remember those two guys were right. They yeah, were absolutely right. right. Yeah. I was the dramatic winner. They only had the facts on their side. Who's got the best story about it, though? You. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, still, they're still telling it. Somewhere, <laughs> wherever a retired um, Silicon Valley executive yeah. go now, they're, they're over the pina colada saying, and then this, this big geezer got up, he drank a load of The mad brick, they'd be calling you. He the mad brick. Yeah. So I was working, but all the time I had a sort of um, media career, if that's the word you want to use. And uh, I was doing the radio with Danny, and sometimes and we did, I used to do 606, and yeah. he invented it, made it great. I kept it warm. Then David Miller came and made it shit. And, <laughs> and uh, it's been largely poor uh, ever since. How did the David Miller arrangement even come about? I mean, this is an ex-Tory MP who decides he quite likes football, wants to talk about it on the radio, and all of a sudden he's doing 606. I have my suspicions that my days at the BBC are over anyway, because the BBC's bonkers. What do yeah, you yeah. think? Okay, yeah. right. They, they don't have any commercial imperatives, so they just make no. decisions willy-nilly. Somebody There's no guiding principle, no Somebody must hand. have been to school with him, and, and there he was doing right, it. Right, right. Um, and but then I, I hope I can talk about this with fondness. At the cusp of all of the sort of modern football, I had a TV show on Channel Four called Under the Moon. Right? Yeah. Um, it's four hours. Often, what it was, it started about eleven, sometimes half past eleven, and it went on until I got bored with it. Right. And then could, they had half an hour little programs to fill through the night. If I felt the thing was waning at three o'clock, we'd stop. If I was having a good time, we'd go until four. Uh, Rick, the producer, also had some input into this as well. And people will remember it. It was a live show with three or four guests, often really star names from the world of sport, on a kind of sofa. I took calls... Uh, you know, from drunk students. I remember the show, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. I, I was one of those drunk students. And weird. I mean, the only people, it was on so late, it was only people who worked in restaurants, students and junkies who actually watched it. But um, that came about because Stuart Cosgrove had been both a colleague and an enemy at the NME. Um, he he and I didn't agree about which direction the magazine should go. And, and he went off and he became um, the head of commissioning for Channel 4. A uh, big, tough Scottish guy. These days, writes brilliant books about soul music in the 60s and has a great football phone in Scotland, Stuart Cosgrove. And he rings me one day and he says, Danny, I've got a problem. I said, go on. I've got this programme called Night Talk. And it was Gary Imlach, bless him, love Gary. Mm. It was Gary Imlach and some and one guest, often Jeff Boycott, sat on a sofa begging for calls. They would look up at the, at the, at the, 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 the camera that was up at the top of the studio and go, Ring us in on 207. I said, he said, yeah. will you look at me, Danny? Because you, you don't see any problem getting calls on your shows on the radio. So I wrote Stuart out of well, friendship, you know, from mm. uh, from old pals. I wrote him uh, 800 words and this is a ra- what you've got there is a radio show. It's on the television. It's thoroughly ashamed of itself. Yeah. Um, you don't want to do that. Next thing he says to me, and don't forget, I'm, you know, I'm in my late 30s now. He says, mm. do, you want, do you want to do it? Had you done any TV before? None. None, none that I can remember. No, yeah. none. And, and that said, is why it must be you. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give it a ghost to it, if you think. And, I mean, Channel 4 at that time, they really, really was amazing. You could do virtually what you wanted if you stayed within the law. Now, that show strayed so far outside the law so often right. that the lady who was the head of the legals at that time, she used to watch it like a hawk through the night. In the end, she felt she had to be in the gallery. So she used to spend her Wednesday nights in the gallery of Under the Moon um, looking, wow, out really? for, looking out for the live. She was just a fan of the show, Dan. No, she wasn't. She, <laughs> oh, I can assure you she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. She didn't know what I mean. You know, uh, if those, those who remember it, Lisa Rogers, you know, a blessed memory and wonderful woman, um, you know, she just did the most incredible. People would call it sexist now. I've got right. a feeling. Of, but hang on, these were all Lisa's ideas. Right, know, okay, yeah. Including, including that game, 
what was it called? Flaps in Space? Yeah, there was a game right. called Flaps in Space. So, that was Lisa's idea. Say no more. Yeah, yeah. quite. Um, this is this is 97, 98 time, isn't it? Must yes, be. Yes, it is. Because, yes. Yeah. Like, and I'd also just started, just started the internet by that stage. I'd gone off. It, what, what happened was a guy came and said, look, I've loved all the work you've done over the years. I don't, people always ask me to do things. I never, I've got no ambitions at all. Yeah. My ambition is to see Spurs play some decent football yeah. and to buy all the records in the world. Those yeah, are my ambitions. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, yes, because we started the internet company in '97, three six five in '97. Um, but I, I was on the television doing doing Under the Moon then, and we had some of the most incredible. I mean, I don't know whether they've still got it, Channel 4. Some incredible things. The very first show, I remember England played Italy. It was that famous game England lost 1-0 at Wembley where uh, the Zola hits the ball off the sole of Sol Campbell's boot. Yeah. It goes under Ian Walker making his only appearance for England. Mm-hmm. Under his body, Italy win 1-0. Terrible World Cup defeat. I said, I know. The Italian church, local to me, down there in Clerkenwell, they all have amazing, they've got an amazing social club right. um, underneath, uh, underneath the, the, the church. It's a very rich church. Um, incidentally, Garibaldi biscuit was does it was the, <laughs> Garibaldi biscuit was invented in that church. No, shut yes, up. absolutely. When Garibaldi came to London yeah. after the following the, unif- the unification of Italy, yeah. the only place two things happened the same day. There was a big parade out of St Peter and St Paul's Church in Clerkenwell, the big, beautiful Romanesque Italian Catholic church. One, they didn't realise that Catholic parades been banned by Cromwell hundreds of years before, so you had the first Catholic parade through the streets for nearly 400 years. By accident. Um, and the local bakers baked a biscuit because they knew he liked currants and called it the Garibaldi biscuit. And that's where it came Incredible. from. Incredible. So this is why this is why these tangents are so important yeah. because occasionally, and I do mean occasionally, yeah. they bring out a gem like that. Yeah, and of course, the knowledge dies with me. And now, yeah, yeah, and now, exactly. now it's your responsibility yeah, no, yeah. to take it on. I yeah. feel the weight of that. You've got, yeah. to take, you've got to take it on. Yeah, I can't even remember. What, oh, so they got the big they got the big crypt right, and I said, yeah. go to there's a man down there called Father Russo. And what we'll do is we'll go for our first show. We'll go live to an Italian social club, and whether they've won or lost, it will be a brilliant celebration. Everyone knows Father Russo. He's a great character. He speaks perfect English. My first ever outside cut I go, and now we're going live to St. Peter's Ball. Fantastic victory for Italy tonight. England are going to be out of the World Cup. Father Russo. So he can see the monitor, and he suddenly realises the cameras are set up. He is one of the most important priests in London, and he's been set up in front of the bar. And all you can see is this vast array of optics and wine bottles. Yeah. And I can see in his eyes, he now thinks it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Instantly, straight so, away. So two things happen. One, live on television, he starts to pretend that he doesn't understand English, right? <laughs> and two, he starts to sidle out of the shot sideways. <laughs> and I go, Father, come back, come back. No, no, it's so... And he's sorry, I do not, I cannot understand what... And he's getting, he's trying to get out of the shot with all the alcohol. Oh, it was a disaster. It was absolute... <laughs> I mean, that show, David Vine was on. I loved having David Vine on, but it was three o'clock in the morning. You say what you like, and David Vine's on there, and he's been great. Late David Vine, for the teenagers listening, he sports was the doyen of sports club, particularly the snooker, um, the world snooker, which has you know, been on recently. He, it was David Vine's voice you heard introducing it. So I got bored listening to David's stories about the snooker, but I said, to be honest, David... Snooker's no good now since they've um, stopped drinking and taking cocaine, haven't they? I said, what is your... I said... I said, you know, they were all absolutely hopped to their eyeballs, all of them, all the time. And they were, in, yeah. my, opi- in my opinion. Yeah. And he went, I don't have to listen to this shit. Live on air, ripped the microphone from his throat, walked off, couldn't be persuaded back. The irony is, that's great TV. I think so. He's tried to sack it off, but he's made I, I the best so. bit of TV that week, so. probably, yeah. At that time, though, you were creating... Um, 
365 Media, right? Which becomes Football 365, which yeah. is obviously a, yeah. a, a, a beer moth. I've got to say that. A, a behemoth because they've got some sort of partnership with us. I love... And, I, I, but, I, they, but it is great anyway. And you would... Uh, am I, may I be so bold as to say you were the brains behind that? Yes. At the start yeah. of the internet, the yeah. very start of it. Yes, yeah, so we, were, we, we, we founded 365. You wiped the ink from your mouth. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, so those, those Americans know what they're talking about. Yeah. I went off to a room in Liverpool Road in the run-up to the 98 World Cup um, with... Two people I'd never met before, been put together by a person who understands money, mm. um, a, a business brain, a marketing brain, and me, apparently a creative brain. And I remember within one week standing outside the office with the rain dripping down on our heads, saying to the man who was the business brain, who I love, uh, he's a great man to this day, saying, um, this is, I know we've got to move fast, the internet, all that. Um, I've got a little bit of cancer. Right. Yeah, you didn't know where this podcast was going, did no, you? No, no. So I've got a little bit of cancer that I may have to deal with. Right. Um, I've got a very, very dangerous um, form of cancer in my eye. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, But the great thing is the operation is absolutely disgusting, absolutely Star Wars, absolutely intrusive, and absolutely you either live or you die. Right. Uh, so here I am, so you're the yeah. rest, I, we'll, we'll do that in another podcast. Yeah, okay. My, we could my, do half an hour on that, easy. My cancer hell, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. We'll do, we can do that. Anyway, we got back into doing it, and yeah, we we we, we launched three six five. Um, we had four employees: me, Dan, Simon, and a kid who was helping us with the technology. Um, yeah. In a roomless, in a sorry, in a windowless room in Liverpool Road. Eighteen months later, we had twelve hundred employees, offices in Hemel Hempstead in London. If you don't mind, yeah. I mean, it was nuts. The internet was crazy. I mean, properly mad. I haven't written about this. I really should. I'll give you an example. When it came time to float the company on the stock exchange, that was decided what we should do with it. I.e., we built this thing. Before anyone noticed that this is all smoke and mirrors, let's get it off our hands and try and make a few Did shillings. you notice smoke and mirrors at the time, do you think? I thought the valuations of things were, m- were mad. We yeah. weren't making any... I'd, be, I'd come from the world of magazines where you get a spreadsheet. There's your readers. There's your advertising. There's what you spent. There's your profit. Bingo. Everyone's happy. Yeah. This is all telling... telling Pie in the sky about how we're going to make money off the internet, right? Yeah. So, so no one really fully understands how to monetize it anyway. There's not, a, not a single profitable internet company other than the service providers. Things, you know, it'd be Google now, but then it was things like FreeServe. FreeServe yeah. don't even exist anymore. No. Um, and we had to raise £60 million to float the company. You know, you have to get a sort of offers for £60 million worth of stock, right? Um, and you do this by going to meetings around the world. And we set off in two teams of four, of two to go and do this. Myself and Dan did most of Southern Europe. Is this Danny Baker? No, this is another Danny Thompson, another Dan, man, okay, another, right, okay. another great man who's currently for he's made his dough. Currently for charity, is running ten thousand meters in every country in the world. Right, uh, <laughs> okay, right. And and has got many governments involved in it as well. It's called the Gold Challenge. Go and look up Gold Challenge on uh, on the internet. So you and he, you and he very charitably gave yourself Southern Europe. Yes, and yeah. well, other people had to do Gdansk in places like that. Yeah. Um, so and, and we we go to American Australia, but you know it's a month long process. I mean, amazingly. You have to say the same things. It's like being a, a, a stand-up comic. You have to say the same things every night to get the gags, to get the jokes. Yeah. The man from the banking company who are watching over this, in this case, an ancient company called Casanova in the city of London. Right. He writes down a piece of yellow paper any moment you deviate from the script. Now, imagine this for me. This is not helping me at all. That's, that's the hardest job in the world at that point <laughs> that that guy's got. It, 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 it's... And... I used I used not to wear a tie. I don't like ties. I wear them to funerals. Hmm. I'm Irish. A suit and an open necked shirt is the, is the look. Yeah. Um, from Brendan Bean to the president of the, of the Republic. Yeah. That's how you go about things. The when you go to the to the places that overseas, 
until they got, you could see them looking at me and Dan until eventually they'd crack and go, you were the tie, you're the finance, yes? And right. he'd go, yes. And then he'd breathe a huge sigh of relief. Oh, the fat bloke with no tie, he's, here to, he's, the, he's, the, he's the joker, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> anyway, to cut a, short, a long story short, we had to raise £60 million of, of you know, whatever, whatever you call it, the promises that we were going to buy the stock. Um, we did that in the first afternoon because people were so greedy. For the they knew nothing about the internet. They just heard the word and they knew they thought they were going to multiply their money by billions. And so by the end of it, we had like £2 billion pounds worth of... We could, have, we could have actually taken in, but we had nowhere to spend it. We didn't know what we were going to spend it on. And it was just one of the most insane... I remember going to Paris... And we did a presentation there, and an Arabic gentleman caught me afterwards, and he said, excuse me, I, I enjoyed very much what you were saying about convergence and about how the technologies are going to become interchangeable and how the television will be able to carry it around on the train and not even on a telephone. Hmm. He said, I didn't really... I understand this, but what is your vision of that? What does it mean? I said, look, think about the internet as this. Now, I'm looking at a man, I think was very, very rich from the Middle <laughs> East somewhere, yeah. and I said to him, you know in Star Wars, you know the bit where you first see... The battle, the battle star. It is gigantic. The Death Star. And the Death Star, yeah. and it's gigantic and black and matte. Yeah. He said, "Yes, I am aware of the film." I said, "Imagine if that appeared on a giant screen, but it was gold and white and shimmering and about to spread its beneficence to all corners of the universe." That's the internet. Yeah. And he looked at me and he started taking his wallet out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was mad. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was an amazing time. Um, we didn't. We at one stage I was extraordinarily rich in theory, um, yeah. and I remember Dan, Dan Thompson, saying to me because he saw one of our colleagues zipping up to work in a Porsche. He said, "Danny, don't buy an island. These, right. these, you can't sell these shares because you're locked in because you were one of the founders. Buy yourself a nice house somewhere, but do not buy an island because I'm telling you now, this is not going to last." And then of course you had the, the remember that when the, all the shares went down, 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 down. It all the dot com crash and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but you, you, the company was sold itself to Murdoch's company. Eventually, it? ended up with Sky. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they I think largely because they tried so hard to do their own internet thing, and it was so bad. And if I've got any pride about three six five, it is that. We set out to be football fast, football first, football funny. And it, it, the front page, which I made myself, um, you know, obviously I had to say to a 14-year-old a, a with an asymmetric haircut, I said, come on, how, how would this work in, in binary? Yeah, yeah. Can you do this in code for Give me? Give me the code, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it like doing it on a spectrum? Can I do a code on this biro? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but the front page looks the same as the one I designed. Hmm. Um, and why wouldn't it? It's yeah. got the football stories, yeah. some high-powered opinion about it, and some jokes. What else is there, yeah. you know? What do you think about, um, so let's come forward to the present then, because you've been there man and boy and, and people will relate to Football 365, I'm sure they use it and people will know about TalkSport. What do you think about football coverage now though? Because football is such big business and we've talked about how toxic it was back in the day, mm. but there's really a huge amount of choice now. And, and I wonder whether you feel that it's, it's, there's too much football perhaps. Um, football or football punditry? Well, we've got to be we're on very shaky ground yeah, now, yeah, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually think there's too much football punditry. Yeah. Um, not mine, not yours, but there's an awful... I mean, I'm going to say this. I spent the summer of 2018 um, sat in a studio at TalkSport. They always do the same thing. I, everyone goes to the to the venue, to, in this case Russia. I get left behind. I'm told there's no work, Danny. Don't worry, take the summer off. Then they get a phone call. They realise the logistics don't work. Will you sit in the studio for us? Of course mm. I will. Of course, mm. so then I join up the shows... And I watched the World Cup matches on gigantic high-definition high television screens while teenagers make me tea. I can hardly, you know, short of getting romantic, I can hardly think of anything better. Hmm. Um, what I can't stand is the... 
I'm happy to have 15 minutes of really strong build-up to a game. What does this mean? What does that mean? How about the selection? When it gets into two hours of it, and we're interviewing old players about their opinion about the current back three, or is it going to be a back five? I think it's tedious. One of the problems, uh, not problem, one of the facts, I think, and Twitter bears this out hugely. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I like 99% of it. I hate the hate hive part of it, yeah. where everyone has to hate each other. Um, I think we have produced a generation of not people who have got a little knowledge. People are very knowledgeable about football. I mean, it's amazing that everybody knows every player. I mean, young people grow up playing FIFA and all of it. They know every yeah. player in the world. Yeah, They know the owners of every club in the world. Um, I don't think it's made people any happier. Mm. Um, the All that stuff, the business of football, and to some extent the media around it, but particularly the business of football, players being sold and bought, um, the ownership of clubs, the politics. Is the, we're sitting here in a week when Juventus have... And finally proposed, they've worked up the nerd, proposed the European Super League. I find it despicable, largely. Mm. Football clubs were founded in the industrial cities of Europe and South America 150 years ago. That's 10 generations of working people have put their emotion and money and blood into those clubs, and now they are playthings for international capitalism. And get, don't get me wrong, I'm mad for international capitalism. I think it's got some many, many great things about it. Mm. Um, I don't want to go back to the Stone Age and all the rest of it. Um, but I think that the business surround of it and the, but the fact that everything to do with it has to be poked with a pointed stick day and night, 24-7, it's actually painful. It's grating. Mm. What is still great is watching 22 men or women, not yet mixed, but 22 men run onto a pitch in different coloured shirts Attention Premier League and television companies, they can play in different coloured shirts, yeah. you know, yeah. used to in the past, yeah. and kick a football about. I love... The shape of football. So I it's love, the purity of it, basically. I love the game. Yeah. I love the game because it's simple. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love when I'm... I forgot, these days it's a less common occurrence, Luke. I, I love when I've got a hangover. There's a football match on. You're not quite up with the play, but the gre- <laughs> you're at the familiarity of the green triangle in front of you. Oh, sorry, rectangle in front of you. Yeah. Triangle if you're really drunk. Um, <laughs> That's still if you're still the, drunk. The, green, over, the yeah. green rectangle and the bodies move forward and they chase the ball and they all come back again. Yeah. Um, he's the most, for me, it's a comfort blanket. Yeah. I love that. Then you have moments where amazing things happen in football. And I suppose, and it was personal to me, of course, most recently, Manchester City and Spurs in the Champions League. Yeah. There isn't another... I mean, the orchestrated drama of American football, which we both happen to love, yeah. is one thing. The chaotic drama of football is entirely another. And when when Raheem Sterling scores and everyone... I go out in the kitchen to cry and Manchester <laughs> City fans bless them. And I do mean bless them because we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Go absolutely, That's why I can't stand this thing of calling each other scum and all the rest yeah. of it. You have more... You're a Spurs fan. You're a West Ham fan. We have more in common than people who don't like football. Yeah. Get used to it. Yeah, I like you. I don't dislike your club at all. Yeah. I like your stadium. I like your new claret carpet around the edge. Yeah. I like you. Yeah. Don't, calm down. Yeah. Um, there is that moment where... Because, look, the, the, the crux of football is the chaos, right? Because I'm going to... I know you've got a, a lovely American wife and I'm holding a gun to her head and I say, right, see that thing there? That's very cool. That's a football. There's that goal over there. It's on the halfway line. I want you to put that into that. Every fibre of your being wants to pick that ball up. Yeah. Because we control stuff with our hands. Yeah. So from the moment you're not allowed to do that, the game is pure chaos. I don't care what 
Pep Guardiola thinks he's working out with those lines he draws down the side of the pitch, inside the, the touch the, the touch lines now, where one player's got to be inside one. You can do all the science you like. You can stand like Alan Pardew with your hands crossed as though you know something special. You don't know Jack. Yeah. What you know is that the players are fit and slightly bonkers and overpaid and that they have great skills and sometimes those skills break down and two defenders can't stand in the same place together and the ball will pinball around and something great will happen. Or... And this is why Americans don't understand the sport. It'll, all that will go on and on and on and nothing will happen. Mm. And the ball will stay in the midfield for the whole game and then nil, 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 and we'll all moan and go home, but we'll go back next day because the other thing might happen. There's that fantastic thing in The Simpsons where they're watching soccer, as they call it, and there's a game going on. There's two commentators going, Ramirez to Smith, Smith to Ramirez, and the ball is moving incredibly slowly from yeah. one player to another. They pass yeah. it round at the back. I know that's what people think about it. People don't get it, but people don't get jazz. Um, people don't get Iris Murdoch. People don't get stuff. Fine. It's not yeah. for everybody. No. And the problem for football is that they, because it appears to be for everybody now and a total democracy, I, I'm, not, I'm not being funny. I mean, I, I've been lucky. I've made my, my, my living out of it. So I'm glad that lots and lots and lots of people like it. But I don't like these days when you go to you know dinner with some people, everyone has to have an opinion about the football. It wasn't always like that. No. People would get up, men and women would get up and walk away and say, I'll leave this to you lot. Yeah, and they'd switch on the television and watch Morgan Wise, and that's fine. Yeah. Um you don't have you don't have to have an opinion about football. Does, do you prefer what it's like now to what it was like in the eighties? If you um, had to pick one of the two. Of course, we'd love to, to for the clubs to go back and maybe have the best of both worlds and have them community-focused and protected, but also have this great football. But I, I suspect the genie's at the bottle now. But if you had to go back or, or stick with what's happening in the modern world, what would you go with? Well, look, I think the the answer to this lies in, in, in the way we grow up, you know. And the truth of the matter is the things that we experience when we're young seem more tasty to us than things when we when we get older so i'm allowing for that the, the 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 need for nostalgia is very deep in human beings but equally we also overdo the present day don't we hmm. the new the next goal that comes along that somebody hits a volley from the edge but that's the greatest goal ever scored well no it's not it's identical to a hundred other goals i've seen but i'm enjoying the hype you know i enjoyed yeah. the goal so the answer to your question is i think in cinema and i'm talking about american and british cinema i don't know much about eastern cinema um, there are clearly golden ages. The 1940s was a golden age, film noir and all the rest of it. Then the early 1970s with independent producers in America was clearly a golden age. You could argue in music there have been golden ages of different kinds of music. I don't think it's the same in football. I think you get waves of new things. I'm actually... I'd, I'd like football as much as I've ever liked it. Um, I, as I said before... You just find different things to the like. Experience, my experience of being on the terraces was fantastic and visceral and exciting. And now, provided I can get away from myself and other people talking about it endlessly, <laughs> occasionally, yeah. um, and watch the and watch the games. I love the World Cup. All yeah. that stuff that went on in the World Cup, you know. Um, leave the far, aside the fact that I thought, you know, having it in Russia and then, you know, call me a woolly liberal. I'm happy to wear that hat, actually. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I didn't want it to be in Russia, um, but you know, it, it was in Russia, and there it was, and it was brilliant, and the football was brilliant, and England played okay. And, you know, got the luck of the draw at times. I, I, how can I put this, Luke? But I, I'm trying to find a, a way to get to the kernel of this. And I think the answer to your question is um, the game itself is so huge and so overwhelming that I think that people who say, oh, I preferred it 50 years ago or 30 years ago, are probably not open to liking it anymore. Mm. I hope as a human being, one thing you will uh, say about me, my my missus would say far too, I'm very open-minded. I'm open to new experience. I'm open to the world. And the football 
it's just it's great. What's not to like about it? the business of football? Yes, I complain about it all the time. The actual games and stuff, fantastic. I mean, I'm complaining now about those ankle socks they've started to wear over their boots <laughs> in the last two years. But if that's the biggest, that's my big problem in the in the game. You know, it's not okay. much, is it? You know, yeah. it's not much. I could do this all day, Danny. I really could mm-hmm. talk to you all day about this, but sadly, we're probably going to have to wrap it up. You can't afford. We can't afford either of us all day. No, we can't. No, absolutely no. not. I can't afford you, and you can't uh, afford me. Quite. You, you certainly can afford <laughs> me, by the way. Um, before I, we, I leave you, though, and before we, we get out of here, yeah. what? How would you sum up what football's meant to you in your life? Um. I think I know the answer to that. Um, and I, you'll have to bear with me, and I know you'll allow me to link football and music. I was brought up in a very religious household. Um, my dad was particularly religious. I was a very religious child, and I went and I served the altar till I was a teenager. And at one stage, I went to a seminary. Um, see, you haven't got time for all my story, have you? <laughs> um, I was a very, very... I then rebelled against religion. I just realised it wasn't real. Um, these are books written by people in deserts 2,000 years ago, and they're not real. But I have a, a, I have a propensity to require something to fill me spiritually. Mm. Most of that work, that heavy lifting, has been done by the English language and popular music. They fill up a very large spiritual space, a very large physical space. <laughs> and football has been one of the ingredients of that. Whatever, whatever cocktail of things that have kept me going and seeking and reaching and trying to achieve things um, and knowing things, football is part of that cocktail and it goes with, with other popular arts. Um, I take it, I, 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 football is part of the culture of this country and of the world. I don't like people who treat it as something that happens in and of itself and then without never allowing society into it. I think my current employers at Sky, I'm allowed to say what I like, I'm a grown man, I think they treat football as though it doesn't have any. Resonance in the rest of society. It does. It's part of society. It's part of our culture, and along with music, um, and some and, and the English language, it has nourished me and fueled me. Um, so my best moments are because of football. And sometimes when I'm being angry and sitting in the car because Spurs are behind, and my poor wife has to come bring me a cup of tea in the car, um, <laughs> the bad stuff is also caused by football as well. Danny Kelly, thank you very much, and thank you, thank you. This episode of Ramble Meets was sponsored by Bet365. This was a Radio Stakhano production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.